and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is Clev Mesador. Clev is a graduate of Howard University. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Clev. Hey, so I want to get started by just really understanding how did you select Howard University uh, to further your education? Well, I will say that I do have a sibling at the other HU. <laughs> My sister went to Hampton. Okay. She is a graduate of Hampton University. We actually went to our universities at the same time. And so for me, for me, like many people of my generation, I am a member of Gen X. You know, the TV show A Different World made HBCUs, you know, something exciting, something transformative that we had to be a part of. And I think there's data that shows that because of A Different World and The Cosby Show, there's a whole generation of Gen Xers that actually, you know, sought out HBCUs. So for me, I wanted that experience but politics is in my blood. So Howard made sense because it was in Washington, D.C. Right. So talk to me about your uh, your experience at Howard University. What was it like? Uh, what were the faculty members like? And just what was the whole experience being there on campus? Yeah, I have a master's from Howard University, a master's in mass communication from the School of Comms. And so, and, and obviously through the graduate school, Howard was a transformative experience because, you know, it was it was not just being on a campus full of diverse black people, but also it was the learning. It was the opportunity to engage with top researchers across the different schools. You know, when it came to my research, I did my master's thesis on how U.S. policy has been informed by the national media. You know, my thesis committee was were these rock stars, and because they were so great, I was I was interning at CNN at the time. I was able to get Wolf Blitzer to sit and talk to us about you know his experience with the Gulf War with Bernie, and so you know. It, Howard is a wonderful place to actually enjoy, have, have fun. It's the best homecoming across the HBCU landscape. Don't tell, don't let anyone tell you different. <laughs> but I do think what for me was great was, you know, the research, the academic, the minds. You know, it really forced me to be a critical thinker. So talk to me about just the research program uh, at Howard and the rigor of that program, but also how that help you become the person that you are today? Yeah, so it, it is a supportive network. So as I said, once I chose the focus of my study on international affairs, but the intersection with with media, you know, Howard had the Ralph Bunch Center that actually focused on international affairs. I was able to get the go there and do some research and speak to some of the folks who were focused on international affairs. And and certainly the School of Communications, oh my God, the wealth of knowledge there. We know that Frederica Wilson from CNN comes from the School of C. Being able to you know, connect with them on just, you know, how I was approaching my writing my master's thesis, because I really wanted it to be much more interesting than a typical master's thesis. So I was able to get that, that 
guidance from there. And then just, you know, the support, the access to the various libraries that I needed, all of it was there. I, you know, I went to, you know, SUNY Albany for undergrad. You know, my sister for her, for her master's, she went to UMass Boston. But we both talk about the experience being, you know, at an HBCU and just that support. And the support is not just, oh, my God, you're great. Do this stuff is it's it's what do I need to succeed those resources are there and the, the mentors are there as well so speaking of mentors who are some of the uh, mentors that you had uh, that made your journey through uh, the master's program successful there at Howard yeah interestingly I mentioned I went to SUNY Albany undergrad Patrick Swaggart who became the president of Howard was the president of SUNY Albany so it was interesting to have that continuity. And there was a dean there at, at, at Albany, Carson Carr, who, when President Swaggart became president of Howard at the time, actually connected us. And then certainly, you know, there's there's a woman from the graduate school called Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Bette, who recently retired a few years ago. She was truly a mentor in the school. And then I have to say that I continue to go to go to and listen to, you know, Howard's Chapel every Sunday because that actually was very, very, you know, powerful for me. The head of, you know, Howard's Chapel is just so, you know, wonderful and kind and, you know, creates a space where you actually feel like you belong and you connect. You know, so I would say, oh my, and I can't believe I'm blinking on his name. He he probably is one of those folks. I, I wrote a book and I even mentioned him in my book because his very simple, consistent prayers, you know, when I feel like I'm, you know, stuck or, you know, trying to figure out a way, I, I, I go to those words and they actually make a difference. So you talked about your thesis uh, topic, international affairs and the influence of media. How did you select that topic? But I also noticed that you said you wanted to make it interesting. So why were you so passionate about that particular area of study? Yeah, so communications is my sweet spot. And when I when I started grad school, I actually got an internship at CNN's Washington Bureau. And that's when I met Bernie Shaw and Wolf Blitzer. And as you remember, they cut their teeth during the Gulf War. They actually became the icons. If you remember, Bernie Shaw was on assignment there and really, you know, reporting from you know the front lines and and so for me it was you know how especially at that time there was an intersection a, 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 an alignment a connection in terms of what got reported how it got reported and how it, it was supported so so for me it was you know i'm haitian american i'm sure you know listeners are hearing the accent and, and for me, I've always been, you know, bicultural right? and, and political conflict, you know, has always really made me think about, you know, how we actually engage as people, as global citizens. So for me, as a communications junkie who really looks to international affairs, I was fascinated by how there were specific conflicts that were impacted by, you know, media 
Like we we've had presidents say that they were they were watching. You know, I, I believe it was the war in Rwanda. You know, who was the president at the time who said we was watching a conflict and said we need to do something there. So so you know, we want to believe that. You know, a lot of the time we go into war, we go into a political situation because it's the more right thing to do or because there was some, you know, climax that actually forced us to get there. Oftentimes it is the communications mechanisms we have. And, you know, I know, you know, I'm a Gen X, so, you know, the revolution will be televised. It was one of the things we grew up with. And, and for me, I, I looked at it through that lens, right? It, it will be televised, but what influenced it? So my master's thesis was about the nitty gritty of how those influences occurred and, and what happened during those conflicts. So you mentioned that you did an internship at the at CNN Washington's uh, bureau. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and then how did Howard position you to, to get that internship? Yeah. Oh my goodness. The, the, the internship at CNN's Washington Bureau was a game changer for me. And I started, I started Howard and I applied for the internship, you know, not knowing. And I think they, I think there was a real need to have a Howard grad as an intern because I interned for late edition at the time, a show that's not even in the air, you know, now, and this was in 1999. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm during my interview. I put forth that I would actually add fresh perspective, and that my experience at Howard and HBCU would be valuable to CNN. And Late Edition was a show that covered international affairs as well as domestic affairs. So, so you know, it was great being you know an inter- an HBCU intern there. But I, I will say, you know, after my internship ended at CNN, I actually got offered a position in CNN's newsroom and got to cover, you know, some great stories, including, you know, when Hillary Clinton got the nomination for, you know, being a U.S. senator, which I remember covering that. And I remember covering so many great stories that that, that really actually made me want to go into politics. It was ironic because CNN's Washington Bureau obviously covers politics. And so I wanted to follow this track of going into programming. But the more I, especially after the internship, working in the newsroom, the more I actually got to be out there. I remember I covered the Chandra Levy investigation. Some of your viewers may remember that. And the more I did that, the more I wanted to be part of the process. I wanted to be there. And, and, and it was that experience that made me transition. I actually left and went to go work for Janet Reno's governor's race. That was my first race. And so you also mentioned that you are passionate about uh, politics, et cetera. So where did that passion or when did that passion develop within you? Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm Haitian American. So obviously, you know, Haiti's revolution continues to be symbolic for so many people. But for us who are Haitian American, Haitian American or Haitians, I was born in Haiti. I left Haiti when I was eight years old. So I grew up here in, in Queens, New York, and Hollis, Queens. So hip hop became a big influence for me. 
But if you'll remember during the, and, and I moved to the U.S. in 1981, during the 80s and 90s, especially in New York, especially, you know, hip-hop actually had a really political, you know, anchor, core to it. Right, so I grew up when, you know, when DMC were on the avenue, I used to be at the avenue. I remember LL Cool J, you know, being outside of my, my junior high school. And so for me, I grew up about around this whole concept of revolution and change. And, you know, and I believe for us, the Nexos, we believe that we actually needed to make a change, wanting to make a change. And when we look back to, you know, you know we just saw Straight Outta Compton with NWA, and, you know, I was a big Tupac fan. I do think between my, you know, being Haitian and where, you know, politics, you know, and freedom are core to who we are. So freedom is our greatest legacy. And I think hip hop marrying that, you know, the experience at, at CNN, at Howard, just it, it was just natural transition to want to go into politics. And as I mentioned, I worked on Jana Reno's governor's race. I was her deputy communications director. I worked on the national campaigns. I even, you know, worked in Congress and then served in the Obama administration. I was a presidential appointee in the Obama administration. But I actually even ran for office myself. You know, when I moved to D.C. in 99 for grad school, ended up staying here. And in 2007, I actually went for city council, Ward 7. I raised $55,000 for my race. I did not win, but it actually helped to solidify, you know, uh, my my whole worldview on politics. Because like, I had seen it from covering it for CNN, from working in Congress, from serving in the Obama administration. Running for office really showed me the to the tolls that, you know, that piece took. And I, and I believe that's what took me to cryptocurrency, right? It, it was just a, a, a manifestation of all of those experiences. Right. And I'm going to talk to you about your, your, your company, your foundation as well. But I want to ask you before I go there, uh, how do you feel that your educational experience at Howard prepared you for the business woman that you are today? Oh my God, I believe that it was one of the most powerful experiences. It wasn't just an academic, you know, time being at Howard. It it was being on sacred ground. It was being in a in a place where you felt, you know, it was a privilege to be there and you had to use that education, that degree to do something more, to do something greater. I remember I, I worked in Congress for Barbara Lee and Shirley Chisholm was her mentor. And I remember Barbara Lee talk, talking about her, you know, she, she worked with the Black Panthers food pro program. And I remember she said, you know, she, you know, when, when Shirley Chisholm decided to run for pre president, Barbara Lee, you know, worked on her campaign and, and brought her to campus. And Shirley Chisholm told her, that's wonderful that you are, very politically astute and and passionate. Get an education and then do something about it, right? So for me, I felt like Howard, you, you come to Howard wanting to be an activist revolution, but it also tells you now you have a mandate. Now you have to do something greater. You have to be something better. And I think for me, that was the difference. You know, to this day, all Howard grads are proud, but 
it, it's not just, you know, I'm from the real HU. It's here's what I did for this, this with the degree, right? Here's how I'm continuing that legacy. So the Mecca becomes a part of who you are and you feel ac- accountable to it, a certain responsibility to that legacy. So talk to me about the Blockchain Foundation. Uh, you serve as the executive director. Uh, what do you do um, at that foundation? Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, from politics, I went into crypto. I actually became a bit disillusioned in politics. While serving in the Obama administration, I realized that politics had its limitation, right? That there were some things we I could not accomplish, that it was very difficult within those limitations. So it was while I was serving in the Obama administration in 2013, that I first heard about Bitcoin. <laughs> in 2013, a good friend had a Bitcoin project and he called me and said, hey, can you help me for a press release? And I said, sure. And I never heard of Bitcoin, did the research, learned about it and helped him with the press release. So it stayed in my radar. And then in 2015, you know, there's a black director that did a movie called Dope. And oh my God, the movie solidified what Bitcoin was, how it operated it. And then I started going down down that rabbit hole. And in 2017, I decided to work in crypto full time all the time. So I have been working in crypto for over six years. And I started my, my journey into crypto as an entrepreneur. I created my own startup. I wrote a white paper, got funding. I was building logos, specifically a platform, a decentralized platform for activists, for revolutionaries, for change agents. Because let's be honest, you know, activists have so many tools for organizing, for impact, but they don't have a platform where they can actually be social, where they can actually engage, where they can actually commiserate about losing all the time, when they can actually date. So I initially went into crypto to create a platform based on Ethereum, which is a blockchain. And while, you know, I was on that path, you know, the, the, in, 20, in December 2017, Bitcoin hit $20,000 for the first time. And all of a sudden, Washington started paying attention. Wall Street started pay, paying attention. Silicon Valley started paying attention. And most people don't realize these entities were very late to crypto. And in 2018, you had Congress and the IRS trying to figure this out. And there were that many of us in crypto who understood crypto and also how Washington worked, right? So I had to lean back to my experience working in Congress, serving in the Obama administration, because I knew there would be a gap with the Black Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, Asian Pacific American Caucus. So I started working with the Blockchain Association, the lobbying entity, the advocacy group for the industry, to really focus on inclusion and access. And, and built on that work. So I put entrepreneurship on the side and started building a platform to ensure that as crypto grew as an industry, that Black and Latino communities, who are the earliest adapters and the largest adapters of cryptocurrency, also benefit. Because decentralization is a pathway to ownership, which is the pathway to wealth creation. And but but we knew, you know, the more I did this work, the more I realized there was a gap with education. So 
in my work with the Blockchain Association in 2021, we decided we needed an arm that would focus on education to be a bridge for public institutions, those nonprofits, those civil rights groups. So in 2022, we launched the Blockchain Foundation. I, I'm the executive director, and today we actually go into communities, work with nonprofits to actually educate people about blockchain cryptocurrency. We want entrepreneurs to know that there are pathways for access to capital through DeFi. We want, we want creators to know that there are new tools that they can be using to protect their intellectual property and to monetize their work. Right? So there are so many opportunities for our community, but we know that information is always a void. So that is the role that I, 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 I lead with the Blockchain Foundation. It is one of the roles that I serve in, I do in crypto because I actually have specific projects that I'm actually building as well. As we are at the future frontier, and it is a frontier. We're at the starting point, and we have to make sure that, that the conversation we did not have in the 1990s when we were contemplating the internet, right? In the 1990s, there was these conversations about the internet, what it will be, but there wasn't conversations about accessibility or, or inclusion or a digital divide. And so I'm part of, you know, a, a group that's making sure that these conversations are front and center and that we're talking about how do we create pathways for ownership and how do we ensure Black and Latino communities, which are the largest adapters of cryptocurrency, don't become simply cons consumers and our producers. So uh, take a couple minutes and, and tell me uh, and my viewers, why do you feel that a person, a, a young or older, that's con considering going to Howard, whether it's undergrad or master's level or even doctoral level degrees, why should they select Howard University? The reason that if somebody right now is contemplating, you know, where should I, you know, embark on my academic career, the reason they should look to Howard because it literally is your, you're not applying to a school, as I mentioned earlier, like you are looking to be part of a legacy, part of, you know, a, a pathway where there's an expectation, where it's not just about black excellence, it's about, you know, serving humanity, it's about doing, you know, at Howard you get a lens for the whole African diaspora, for the whole black diaspora. It's not just about, you know, art history here in the U.S., it is our footprint on you know, the continent of Africa, across the continent of Africa, with, uh, across Latin America, and certainly within the Caribbean. And when you look at whatever you're going to do, right, especially as a, you know, person of color or a black person, Howard will open the world to you. It will give you that prism of, you know, you don't have to open your business just in the U.S. You can look to opportunities across the continent of Africa or in the Caribbean or Latin America. And those are the doors that are open to you at a place like Howard. So uh, before we uh, wrap the show up, I want you to just take about 60 seconds to just tell us why you are so passionate about uh, being an activist revolutionary. Yeah, I I am a daughter of Toussaint Louverture. 
I am a black woman in America. You know, change, social impact is important to me. I want to change the condition for, for people who look like me. Right? I want to make sure that I leave a legacy in the world. So 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we're seeing progress. So for me, you know, every choice I've made from going to Howard, from choosing you know, my professional pathway, it has been to change the world, to make an impact, and to, to make sure I'm always clear that I, I'm not going to change the world, but one step at a time, one block at a time, one decision at a time, we're planting seeds that will grow. Well, uh, Clev, I want to say this, that you, the work you're doing uh, is very, very impressive. I think that uh, it really highlight and showcase the talent that come from our many HBCUs uh, around the country. And uh, I, I just couldn't, we, I don't have enough time on this episode to really talk about everything uh, that I would like to cover with you because you have just so much uh, knowledge and so much experience in so many different areas. But I do appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule to be on this episode of HBCU with me. And I do not want to leave uh, or conclude this ep episode without first presenting you with our HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award for your continued commitment <laughs> to historically black colleges and university and all of the success that you've had that highlight uh, all the great work that those institutions do for communities of color. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.